Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. So if anybody out there knows anybody that is struggling with a loved one having Alzheimer's, they should listen to this show. I have Dr. Joshua Schuheim. He's a geriatric medical doctor specializing in Alzheimer's disease and memory disorder. He also is specializing in clinical trials and research. He's the guy that you actually want to listen to, who will tell you the truth on what to do through the stages. He explains how the disease comes on and how it progresses, what we can do to slow down the disease, and what the newest medications are to date. He'll explain to you the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. He explains the stages and what we can expect as they go through these stages. And he also lets us know what we can do to help prevent it. There are things to do. And he also gives us his idea of how long he thinks we can see a significant treatment to stabilize or maybe even find a cure for Alzheimer's. Here we go. Are we rolling? We're rolling. I want to say Dr. Shuchaim helps so many people. It's uh, it's an amazing gift to have. My only gift, Dr. Shuchaim, is knowing what shoes to wear with what dress. I'm useless, really, in society. I do nothing. That's good enough, no? No, it's not good enough. I like what you do. You didn't only practice medicine, you practice geriatric medicine. Correct. Which, to me, is a very difficult thing. So before we continue, I want to introduce Dr. Joshua Shuheim. He's a geriatric medical doctor, and he specializes in Alzheimer's disease, memory disorder, and clinical trials and research. So this is the guy that you're going to want to hear from for anyone that has a parent or a grandparent or a friend that has memory loss, Alzheimer's, dementia. We use Dr. Shuheim. I took my mom, as many people know on the podcast, um, I talk about my mom a lot and the fact that she had Alzheimer's. So we went to many doctors. We went to a lot of doctors in New York City and even some in Florida. We found peace when we went to go see Dr. Schuheim in New Jersey. And it's just a weird story. I'm going to tell it real quick. It turns out I heard about Dr. Schuheim that he's a geriatric, that we shouldn't go to a brain doctor anymore because they had us going to test after test after tests. She had Alzheimer's. So, you know, we were just running around in circles. When we finally heard about you, it turns out that your daughter was dating my nephew. So when I told Chucky, he says, yes, Eddie is dating his daughter. I'm like, what? That is a crazy coincidence. In any case, we wound up making an appointment. We came to you and going to a geriatric doctor who understands everything about aging, memory loss, Alzheimer's, and everything else that goes along with it really put us a little bit at peace. I know we drove you crazy because, you know, we were scared, but um, that's, that's the way it was. So I want to start asking you, first of all, the most common question I get from people is how, do you, how does somebody know if they have Alzheimer's? We all forget stuff. How does somebody know if they actually have it or even if they should get tested? First of all, by the way, let's start again. Let's start from the beginning again. I'm a full professor of medicine at Rupert Wood Johnson Medical Center. Uh, I practice dementia and Alzheimer's disease for the last 30 years from 1992. So that's became my field. My practice is limited to dementia and Alzheimer's disease from all those years, like 30 years. 
And the most important thing that you mentioned, you touched it, I have a geriatric approach. What is geriatric approach? We don't just take care of the patient, we take care of the family. Remember, Alzheimer's disease is a disease with two victims, and people forget that. It's not that the patient is happy usually, it's the caregiver who gets the heart attack, it's the burden of the caregiver, and there's nobody to help the caregiver, and from a government point of view, you don't have the support. Okay, so the caregiver sometimes lose a lot of time for work. It's financially costing money. So that's the geriatric approach. It's approach to treat not only the patient, but the family and the caregiver too. You said it perfectly because you're right. It is not a disease solely for the patient. I actually think it's a family disease. Correct. The family suffers. That's what we call it, the disease with two victims. Yes. And what's interesting, too, is the fact that you actually came to talk to me on this show when I know you get paid and sent around the world to talk about this topic. So thank you. And I'm for sure. you, it's free. And for me, it's free. It's I'm good. not paid. It's, good. it's, okay. oh, it's my pleasure. Thank God for my connections. I so love my nephew, now Eddie. I will now. answer your question. Okay, but great. I have to go backward again. I want, so, anytime, so, yes, go. Okay. So you asked me, how do you make diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease? There are several ways to make the diagnosis. But first of all, before you talk about Alzheimer's, you have to talk about dementia. What is dementia? People mix dementia, Alzheimer's, they mix two terminology. Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Dementia, it's a broad name. It's a syndrome. It's not really a disease which means that the patient has memory problem, one of the five cognitive deficit, and functional deterioration. Alzheimer's is only one case of this. Alzheimer is one disease of the dementia group of disease. Alzheimer's has short-term memory, because any memory can define dementia, short-term memory, visual spatial skin payment. They don't interpret what they see very well, and functional deterioration. I'll go back. They don't see what they don't interpret it what they see very well. It's actually very difficult to understand, and uh, but the interpretation of what they see, it's very abnormal. And when we test for dementia, actually only three points out of 30, it's we're testing the memory. All the rest, we take visual spatial skill, functional ability, et cetera. With so, dementia. So to make the diagnosis of dementia, we have only three point checking memory. All the rest, if we want to consider Alzheimer's, is the visual spatial. We check them. And, and how to explain? Actually, when I started in 1992, there were no drugs for Alzheimer's disease. So I'll tell you a story. It's interesting. And I published a lot, and I published in driving evaluation. Initially, there was no medication. So I, I tried to learn. And uh, I know to do testing, and know to do diagram, and uh, oh, you see, he has visual spatial. That's how I knew it. I didn't understand what it means. So one time I was driving, uh, doing driving evaluation. There was a tester, the patient, and I was in the back. What is the tester? Te a driving tester. He's a driving oh, 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 the driving instructor. Driving instructor, okay. the patient, the patient? And, and okay. I was in the back. And the instructor asked him, what is the sign? And the patient said, oh, that's a stop sign and he continues to drive. Then I thought, oh, he knew what the sign, he can see very well, right. he knows the sign, you know what it means, but something in the interpretation that he, he knows what, what it means, but it didn't register in his brain to understand that he has to stop. He continued to drive. That's the first time that I got it. They told, a month after, another patient came to me and the wife said, you won't be, she, they came to me, led to the office. 
So I said, why are you late? He said, you won't believe what happened. Me and my husband, we don't sleep in the same bed, etc. in the same room. And I usually wake for him. He wakes up every day at seven o'clock and he comes out. Today, he didn't get up. He got up at nine. I didn't want to disturb him. And, and we came, I asked him, what happened? Why do you are so late today? You are years, you are waking up at seven. How come today at nine? So you, do, you won't believe it. I was watching TV and there was this priest talking and I was naked with my underwear. I was, I didn't feel comfortable getting out of the bed in front of him like that. So I stayed <laughs> in bed till he finished talking and then I got up. That tells you, what is the vision special? He knows. And if you ask him, that's, but it's TV. He said, I know. I know that it's TV. So when you talk to the TV, there is a problem. And the vision special is very impaired with patients with Alzheimer's disease. And that's the classic way of dementia with the type of Alzheimer's disease. Now, let's go to a question. How do before you do, one second. Okay. Before you do, I just want to bring up two things how I can correlate. I, I get it. One was driving. Our doctor told us your mom shouldn't be driving. Now, of course, you know, you know my family. She has to drive. She's going to forget. We make, have to make sure she keeps driving so she remembers and she has the skill. If she stops, she's going to decline. She went to Florida that, that season. I mean, it was in the early stages still. And usually when I'm with my mother, I always do the driving. This particular time in Florida, we left a store and I said, you know, let me give her the key. I want to see how she drives because I'm going back to New York City and I'm, I'm not going to know for another couple yeah. of months. I gave my mother the key and she started driving and I realized she couldn't stay in a lane. Cars were honking her. So let's forget about my own, as my brother Chucky would say, how I feel. I was devastated. My stomach fell. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It's like I turned a whole new page. After that, I realized I called my brothers and said, mom can't drive. We have to tell her now that we made a lot of money and we're getting her a driver. And that was her thing. So we did that. Even though she wasn't happy with the driver, she didn't want one. We made sure that, you know, uh, he drove her. And every once in a while, doctor, I would allow my mother to get in the car and just drive short distances for her own to make her feel good. The other thing you said, which was also very interesting, was um, you brought up the driving. And which was the other thing you said, the other point? We just find the TV talking to Yes, the okay, that was another thing. I did a show, I think it was Good Day New York, and she, my sister was watching it in the house with my mother, and my mother was talking to the TV. She was telling my sister, Carol, now I have to tell you, my mother was still putting on her makeup with precision. She got dressed beautifully and she's sitting and it was a Friday and I'm on my way home and my sister's watching Good Day New York and they're watching me and my mother is telling my sister to tell me to come from the TV. Tell him to come. She's talking to the TV. So it's crazy that the two examples that you gave, I have experience with. Yes. So I'm sorry, continue. I gave you an example that are very common. Okay. And that's why it will relate to many people who understand who have patients with the, with the, who suffer from the disease. Uh, the next topic that you ask is how do you make diagnosis? There are many ways to make diagnosis. One is by exclusion and one is by inclusion. It's very interesting that the first time, I mean, the first time that there was according to the neurology, they make the diagnosis, they wrote the diagnosis criteria only in 1997. It's right. not long ago. No, very and recent. The psychiatry was after the year 2001. So they have in the, in the textbook, the diagnosis, that was by ink. So this neurology 
diagnosed by exclusion, they exclude other diseases and they have it, they're left up with Alzheimer's disease. Then the psychiatry had criteria that can, if you fit that, you fit the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, that diagnosis was by inclusion. By inclusion through Alzheimer's. If, For inclusion, okay. their diagnosis criteria. But all this is only clinical. There is nothing but this. There is nothing. That's what's amazing. No, no. But now it's different. Okay, tell me. Because so, I'm sorry, I want to back up a minute. When we went to a doctor in Florida, they gave my mother a whole bunch of questions and stuff. I couldn't right. even, I couldn't even remember it. So I'm saying how they could be wrong. I can't remember it. So, no, but you, you would in that test, the simple test that they usually it's called millimeter, forty millimeter. Most of you're talking about that. It's a thirty uh, point scale. A normal person can do above twenty-seven, etc. Patient with dementia will end up with lower than that. But don't forget, some people are early stage of dementia, a dementia, and they can score very high, especially if they were engineers or intelligent people. They might score 28, 29. You won't know that those guys are demented. And that's what we call MCI, mild cognitive impairment. That's a very MCI, important. mild cognitive impairment. Cognitive impairment. That is a a condition that is before you get Alzheimer's, before you have you fit the diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Those patients, everything is normal. They complain, and the family might come, it's called subjective complaint of memory problem. But all the tests are normal, and their function is normal. So you don't know if it's true or not. So how do they get diagnosed? Oh, we have a lot of other testing to make the diagnosis, like to check visual spatial skin impairment, yeah. this, and then you know it's, uh, it's maybe he said that there's memory problem, but the memory test is perfect. But when you do other uh, testing, like visual spatial, then you see that there is, here and there, there are problems. And the conversion rate, they convert to Alzheimer's is like 25% per year. So- I don't know the, what you mean by that. The patient with MCI would, tend to be Alzheimer, tend to be fully uh -huh. Alzheimer, meet the criteria of Alzheimer. For example, they have functional deterioration, but then 25% every year will turn to be Alzheimer from this criteria. Okay. So for my mom, as you know, for people listening, there are all forms of, people always ask me because I, I, right now, unfortunately, I'm going through a period where a lot of my friends have a parent that is, you know, that mm -hmm. has Alzheimer's. I don't like to say suffering from it because I always used to get insulted when people used to tell me, oh, your mom's suffering. And I used to be defensive. I said, she's not suffering. She's not suffering. You know, because in my- She's not suffering. The family's suffering. Uh, we're suffering. Exactly. And I want people to know, to know that. She, my mom was happy. And yeah. they do go through periods of getting frustrated, right. which we're going right. to right. get to. All but right. I just want to get to what my mom's symptoms were. She couldn't find the words. So for me, our experience was my mom would call me at work and say, you know, I can't get it on the thing to work. I go, mom, what are you talking about? She do the thing. I can't, the button. I go, what the TV? No, no, what the dishwasher? No, what, tell me I'm busy. Tell me my mother would laugh. See, my mother covered it up with laughter. She that's always, always do that. That's what they do. It's a common thing. Yes. Always covered it up with laughter. She'd start cracking up. I go, mom, busy. Tell me what it is. I'd find out two phone calls later. It was the radio. She's trying to get something on, you know, trying to get music. Mm -hmm. So that's what it was with my mom. She couldn't find the words. Yes, she forgot where she put her jewelry, which is a very common thing, I think. But it was forgetting and not knowing words. And that should remind me about jewelry. Oldtimer, oh. Oldtimer himself, his first case, he's the first one who discovered. Yes, it's tell not, us about it. It's not correct. It's not correct. He's not the first one. There's another guy in Italy who discovered the same thing, who described the same thing. Before Alzheimer's. Before Alzheimer's. Who we named it after. 
And the reason why he was not named after that, because the first textbook was written by Krepling, and Krepling didn't know the guy from Italy. In those years, it was not like today. Right. He knew old timer that was a student, and he described the case. So he put it as Alzheimer's <laughs> disease. Okay. So and, he was and, the student of the man who actually really discovered it. No, no, he's the student of the guy who wrote the textbook. Who wrote the text? Got textbook. it. Okay. Okay. So and uh, Krepling, in those years, uh, people used to die in age right. fifty. That was life expectancy forty-five, fifty. Right. And uh, doing uh, Alzheimer died at age thirty-three. But his boss died age 93, which was unheard in this time. And he was able to write a textbook of medicine. And he wrote Alzheimer's disease, Bell's palsy. Right. Was the roommate of Alzheimer's. He wrote, he put diseases on the name of his students. And one of them was Alzheimer's, the other one was Bell's palsy. And those so Bell's palsy was somebody's name. Bell's. Bell's. Bell's palsy is a, something is a else. Palsy. But we know Alzheimer's, 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 right. But Alzheimer's, we know, was Alzheimer's. Right. Was, Alice Alzheimer's. He, yeah, he was a doctor. Guy. Correct. Now, in those years, you go for residency and you make a decision, whatever you are. You, are, you, go, you decide if you are in neurology or psychiatry. There was no different field. So you make your decision what you are. You never said, I'm psychiatry and neurology, or this or this. There's only one person in the world who insists in those years that he is a psychiatry and a neurology, Freud. Wow. And everybody got very upset with him about it. He said, no, you have to make a decision what you are. Because there was one residency, you would go for one training, and then you have to make a decision what you are. That's why when I go to a psychiatrist that dispenses medicine and gives me the Freud method, it kind of combines the two. Yes, I talk about all the money I've spent in therapy, mainly because my mom was sick. But um, you said something else that was interesting. The diagnosis, when they get diagnosed, they do pretend that they understand when they don't. Is that, that's very common, right? Yes. So how do families, like I know there are certain families that have no idea if their parent has it, then there are a lot of families well, look, whose parents have it and they don't know what to do. They feel lost. Actually, the diagnosis of Alzheimer's is mainly clinical. You see the patient, it's very easy to know. Not, not in the beginning stages. No, not in the beginning stages. No, my mom, we had then, no idea. No, in the beginning stage, that's what I saw. It's, we call it MCI, multiple Right. And we we check the visual spatial and said this guy is a high risk to death and they have to watch him for a while. Right. Sometime I see a patient said this guy is going to death. There are all times let's start treatment now, not wait later on. But today we have more. We have more markers. Markers. We can do a PET scan. These. Uh, to understand why we do the PET scan, I have to teach you how, how the pathology, how does Alzheimer's disease evolve? What, what is Alzheimer's disease from a brain point of view? So in two minutes, in two seconds, I'll tell you. And then you understand how to make the diagnosis. Our brain and produce a protein that has, we have no use for this protein. It's called APP, amyloid precursor protein. It doesn't matter. We produce it and we have no use for it. It doesn't help build muscle, in other words. No, not muscle, nothing. <laughs> nothing. It's useless, no a useless protein. But we have in our genes the code to produce this protein. This gene is a very old gene from before the dinosaur time. 
And most probably people think that this protein used to give information from one cell to the other, like the brain of the old, old type when there were only cells around. Right. So this to give information from one cell to the other. But for some reason, we kept this gene till today and we still produce it. So the gene doesn't cause any problem to our body. We just produce it, that's all. But we have enzymes and the enzyme breaks these genes, uh, this protein. So it has a piece of this protein, which is very toxic to the brain cells. And that's called beta amyloid. Beta amyloid. Beta amyloid. Yes, correct. A beta amyloid. That's beta right. amyloid. amyloid. Beta this amyloid. beta amyloid is very toxic to the brain. It causes brain damage and brain death. Okay? So that is the theory. There are many theories, but that's the theory that is most acceptable. Now, when today we can do a PET scan, it's like a MRI or more, it's a... I know what it is. You know, I took PET my mother. Okay. I, poor woman, I tortured scan. her. I woke her up at four so in the morning. Today there is a one. different PET scan uh -huh. that check exactly the amount of beta amyloid you have in the brain. So if you have a lot, you have a high risk to develop Alzheimer's disease. Okay, there is no logic to do a PET scan to somebody already with Alzheimer's disease and you know that he's Alzheimer's disease. There's no re really reason to, to do it. To do it. It's expensive PET scan. I did it for no reason. They told us exactly what we already knew when you told us. Correct. So the PET scan, it's uh, when you have a patient with Alzheimer's disease, you don't need to go through all the tests. But if you have very early stages, it's worth doing. More than that, you can do lumbar puncture. You can take fluid of the cerebral fluid, all right, for the... I never heard of this. Is this brand new? It's not brand new, but we now we have to do it more because there's a new drug that is like a vaccine for Alzheimer's disease. Let's call it vaccine. Right. And it just came to the market. And there's another one that will come very similar to that, and I call it synthetic vaccine. Great. I want to get to this after. Don't talk about it yet. I want to get to the. So the other choice is to check to do to check the lumbar fluid. Right. The CFF fluid. Is it through a needle? Yeah, yeah. You, you put the needle. Put, put is it painful? Not really. I do it a lot, and yeah. people don't say it was okay. Okay. And uh, you check and you check the beta amyloid there. How much you have? And so you now, can check the beta amyloid from the from from doing the needle in the in the lumbar the in the spine. But there's no reason to do it unless there is a good, there's a reason for it. Now, why is the reason? If you have a medication that you can, before treatment, you have, you see high beta amyloid in the spinal fluid. And then after six months or a year, you have none. That means the drug was working very well. It really reduced the amount of beta amyloid and uh, to the brain, right? So that the only reason to do it today that I believe it should be. They shouldn't be just for statistics, okay? Because I can make the because of Alzheimer's disease without complicated tools. You did. And I drove my mother crazy, although you know we never told her she had Alzheimer's, and you respected that. Yes, and I right. want to know what your position on that is. Do you agree with that, didn't agree? Absolutely. We didn't let any doctor, we didn't go to a doctor that didn't respect our wishes. There was no need for my mom to know she had Alzheimer's. Okay, they don't need to know. The other thing is you never know 100%. You, you cannot put a stump, say, I know 100% you have Alzheimer's. That's not correct. First of all, Alzheimer's disease has a lot of mixed type of dementia with vascular dementia. So you never know exactly where you what are. Uh, sometimes it's more towards the vascular, sometimes it's more towards the Alzheimer's, so it depends. So there's a lot of 
mixed bipolar. But so people get checked for both. Like we check my mom for her carotid arteries. Yeah, no, we but this vascular this, is different. different. Okay. It's okay. But still you have a vascular right. risk factor. Right. Okay, and there's a score called Hachinsky score. If you have a certain amount, you have a high risk or have vascular type of dementia without doing CAT scan, MRI, etc. Okay? And on the other side, you see patients who do MRI, and there's a, the neurology or the radiology, right? Most probably a vascular. And you examine the patient, no way. It doesn't matter what the MRI, the guy, the guy is pure Alzheimer's. You understand? Know right. So you have to play with it. There's no need to tell the patient or person, oh, you have Alzheimer's disease, especially when it's a stigma. Uh, there's no need for you're that. hitting every single thing that I wanted to discuss with you before I even bring it up and I'm so happy especially you know it's a stigma I'm glad you know it's a stigma continue yeah. I'm sorry I, to interrupt. I usually tell him listen you have a memory problem the risk and that the difference between different type of memories you have the risk of deterioration mm -hmm. and I can give you a medication to hold it somehow right so there's no need to put the stamp so you have Alzheimer's vascular or any type of that you have it now when you evaluate the patient didn't say before you have to think is it the guy has a real dementia or he is just a memory problem and there's a chance people have memory problem people right. forget their keys is that called uh, senile there's no terminology senile anymore in no medicine more. but you can write you can call it simple forgetfulness simple forgetfulness is that is that a real thing yeah simple okay. forgetfulness yes, doesn't say, deteriorate is that what you're saying that one says some people have forgetfulness but they don't deteriorate they stay the same forever forever like that. okay listen you get old when you get old you forget more right it does nothing to do with just old and the number one risk factor for Alzheimer's is is aging is aging today so no doubt if somebody is, is 97 years old, he's more forgetful than a patient who's eight years old. I mean, maybe when he was 80, he was much less forgetful. But still, we, if he doesn't have all the rest of the symptoms of Alzheimer's, he's not exactly Alzheimer's. He's simply forgetful. He forgets, but he knows everything. There's no big deterioration. His function is still normal. This is not an Alzheimer's case. Right. And so you have to be very careful when you make the diagnosis of dementia from simple forgetfulness. Right. So is that the reason why Alzheimer's today is so much more rampant in the world is because people are living longer? And you said something interesting before because, you know, I know my mother's side, Alzheimer's runs in the family. Everyone asks about my father's side. Most everyone on my father's side died so young, we have no clue. He probably had that too. I mean, everything runs in my family. I'm shocked I'm still walking. I'm probably going to crawl off the table. Who knows what's going to happen? I'll, I'll answer you that. It's very interesting. No doubt, aging is the number one risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. When Alzheimer's describes the disease, you should, have, you should get the disease below the age of 60. That was the first day criteria. Later on, they took the age. And that's all. So they wait. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Back up. Wait. Initially, one of the criteria. Yeah, one of the criteria is Alzheimer said for making diagnosis of Alzheimer's is you should be below the age of 60. Oh, okay. But then they took they saw they saw that it's not correct. Don't forget when Alzheimer was alive, life expectancy was only 45 years old. Right. Okay, so there were very few people with, with Alzheimer's, right? Very dementia. few dementia didn't even exist. I mean, for those who lived till 65, 70, I mean, how many of them really get the disease? There were very few, anyhow, right? So it was not a very common disease, just like osteoporosis. Osteoporosis, 
is the curation of the bone, right? But it starts in women age 82. Those years, there were no osteoporosis because nobody reached that age. Now, right, right. now people, every baby is 87 years old. So now suddenly we see osteoporosis, we see dementia. And you say that patients with Alzheimer's disease, in the age of 95, 50% of the population in that age will fit the criteria of Alzheimer's disease. At 55? At 95. At 95. 95, 50% population at that age will fit the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. 95, who lives to 95? No, I mean, people, really. You won't believe it. Doctor, yeah. I went to an Alzheimer's support group when my mom was sick because I couldn't take it. You know how we were. A woman who had to be the same age as my mother was crying because her mother, who's 98, has Alzheimer's. I had to honestly say, people die. Nobody lives forever. No, no, no. Do you know that the, 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 the head of this place said, listen, you have to be a little bit more sensitive. I said, my mother is what, 70 years old, and this woman is complaining her 94-year-old uh, mother has Alzheimer's. Listen, mother is a mother. Nobody lives forever, though, doctor. Yeah, but, no, but we will live longer over time, and we will have more patients with the same disease. So, okay, so just to go flip it on a good side for one Let, second. Let's flip it something else. I'll tell you okay. one thing more. Just before we lose the point, 20% of patients with Alzheimer's disease is more genetics. Oh my goodness, that was and my question. And there are many, many, many gene mutations that bring you to Alzheimer's. It's not one mutation. That means there are many diseases or many mutations that brings you to the same point of increased production of beta amyloid from different ways. Okay? So, so Alzheimer's disease, although it's considered a disease, it's more like a syndrome than a real disease. Actually, I published that many years ago. I think in 97, I published that. And actually, I tried to publish it here in America, uh -huh. and I couldn't. And there was a guy who came from different country, Taiwan, I think, he, Korea, South Korea. Korea. Uh -huh. Korea. He met me in a meeting. He said, I believe in what you say. Okay, send me what, what, what he was reasoned, and I sent him. It was first published in his journal, in Korea Journal. So he got the credit. Well, he got the journal. And after that, I was able to publish it here in America, too. But it took me five more years to people to realize that, listen, we can't call it real or real disease. There are many diseases that convert to the production of the beta amyloid, which you call it Alzheimer's disease eventually. But you still say it has a 20% genetic link. Correct. Is that good or bad? I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's scary because my mom had it, her sisters had it, okay, her cousins had it. 20%. How fucked am I? Tell me from now. Brad has to smother me in my sleep. So you have to tell him exactly when he's got to kill me in my sleep because I don't want my kids to suffer. Let me explain. Even if you have the gene for Alzheimer's disease, yeah. you need a trigger to bring it out. Let me explain to you what it means. There are people who has, has a tendency to develop diabetes. To people, what diabetes? To develop diabetes. People tendency. Of course, if they will be very thin and they guard their diet, and they will be active, the risk of diabetes will come maybe 10 years later, five to 10 years later, no doubt. Or maybe they won't have it because you always keep your sugar very low. He can never reach diabetes. He never abuse his pancreas. Right. So you need a trigger to start his diabetes. If he eats all sugar, all this, of course his diabetes will come earlier. If he holds and holds and holds, he might get it at 16 instead of 14. Same thing with heart disease. Heart disease has a very strong genetic risk factor. Of course, if you are active, etc., the risk might be delayed. 
people tell me, yeah, my, my uncle was running active this, he died at 45. So if you he hear that, Brad? But if he didn't do that, he would die much younger. Is that why we're the oldest living uh, people in our family, the men? Us <laughs> men, me, my brothers, we outlived everybody so far. So, you said something interesting. Wait, wait, let, let him talk. Okay, so sorry. What's the trigger to hold okay. off Alzheimer's? What's the trigger right, to hold off so Alzheimer's? Even, even Alzheimer's needs a trigger. For example, head trauma. Head trauma is one of the biggest triggers for Alzheimer's disease. <laughs> The, the controlling hypertension activity. I don't understand that, but it has been proven many times in many studies that people who are active physically, they delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease. One of the treatment to maybe they breathe more oxygen. I don't know the reason, but no doubt activity and exercise is one of the healthiest things to prevent the disease. Controlling hypertension. What's the connection between hypertension, beta There is a connection. There is a trigger. Okay. Head trauma. It's one of the biggest triggers you have. If you remember Regan, Regan was doing very well till he fell from the horse. The neurology examined him, said everything is good. There is good. No, no need to do anything. Didn't I do forgot it. about that. He, he, fell from he, the horse. he didn't do even a CAT scan. He didn't do a CAT scan. But after two years, when he started a memory problem, then he did the CAT scan and said, oh, oh. He has, he has dementia now. So, so, and by the way, just off record, you like politics? We're three demented president in America. I wanted to ask you about Joe now Biden. No, no, no. I, I'm not going to that level. <laughs> I leave Joe Biden, but we have Reagan. But do you think he has Alzheimer's or something? He even shuffles his no, feet. I'm not going to. I'm going to. Right. Go he reminds me of my mother, the way he fakes it. Okay, okay. Okay, good. Okay. Continue. Reagan had officially, yes. what they say, Alzheimer's disease? Yes. You said Wilson, after the trauma. Wilson, yeah. the first world war president, Yes. he had more vascular type of dementia. Okay. And uh, uh, during the second world war, who was the president? Yeah. I don't know. Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. By, by the first one, not the that uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Which was wait, Teddy I Roosevelt. don't know. Google it, Brad. Which just no, Google okay, it. Okay, the first Roosevelt. First Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt yeah. had dementia too. So those are the three presidents. Now, that's not important. The important thing is if you think well, think well. During those three presidents, the country was running perfect. Think about the economy was good. The relation with other country was excellent. With Reagan, I remember it was fantastic. So why? Why? First of all, we want more demented president. We do. Okay. When we want more demented president. We had we have, one. We have, we have very good experience. <laughs> from them, okay. Now there is. Now we have to, to right. ask why the country was running so well when we have a demented president. Why? Oh, the wife most probably were running the country. And, <laughs> and that's why they and that's why the country was running very well. There was peace everywhere, economy was doing well. That's the bottom line. So maybe we should have more Republican in the new way, Republican demented presidents. This way their wife okay. could fix everything. Correct. Okay. So do you remember before you go on, do you remember that I wanted to take a test? to find out if I had the gene, me and my brother and my right. sister. Correct. And you told us no. Correct. And I'll I, tell you why. Yes, that's what I want you to tell people. So for people listening, listen to this because I wanted to take the test to see if it was possible, if I can get it. And this is what Dr. Schofield said. There is a blood test that you can check with ApoE4. ApoE4 
is a risk factor for dementia, for Alzheimer's disease. The problem is that if the test is positive, how, what does it mean? Well, it means that you might have 40 to 50% chance to get the disease. What does it mean? So it, it, it does, is it half empty or half full? What you should be in a panic, you should be happy. Well, you don't know where you are going with it. Okay, you should get treatment, not get treatment. We have no treatment now anyhow. So why should we do a test if we don't know what to do with it and we don't know how to interpret it? So when you have a 50-50% chance, there's no value for the test. It just put you in a, in a, in a panic for so many years and they said, Ugh, I should enjoy my life. I, did, I don't have Alzheimer's now. So why should you do that? So I think we shouldn't do any testing now unless unless we're doing other tests now that we can really diagnose early stages and that's different approach. You said the exact thing verbatimly, what was it, 12 years ago or 10 years ago? I don't remember. You said the exact same thing. Right. Incredible. Also, couldn't you get, wouldn't insurance companies, if you did have the test, and right. that, then you risk being pre-diagnosed or have, I mean, there's a bigger risk. That's, that's true. I don't know that if they was, can hear that you. That was another problem that time that people were afraid that if you have a high risk for Alzheimer's disease, you should notify the insurance and the insurance will not like to be right. insured by them yeah, because insurance. you are in high risk. Correct. So why should you know? And then they say, oh, you hide the information from us. Yeah. So why should you do that? And there's no reason to do it at all. It doesn't help you. And it doesn't give you any solution. So okay, I've also heard that Alzheimer's skips a generation. Is that true? No. Okay, not true. I've also heard that it comes more from your mother's side. No. Is that true? Not true. So none of this is all nothing to do. Nothing to do. There is a genetic link. Yes. If you talk about the beta amyloid, amyloid, is there more risk for somebody from a a, a family with a deeper historic generation? or like, like an older family as opposed to a, a newer historic family? Okay, listen. Because the gene keeps going and breaks we, down. We do have a risk, which is we call in families. It's not genetic, you don't have the gene. There are diseases that have the gene for Alzheimer's disease. But there are people who has it just in the family they develop it. It's not in their genes, but it's common in their family. It's more familiar like that. Okay, so that exists. Okay, but still, you cannot counter it. And usually, there are people who develop the disease in older age. The genetic is more younger age, 60, 65. The non genetic starts later on, 70, 75. Yeah. So, okay, so we know that all of that is just talk. It doesn't skip a generation. It's all random. Nobody knows who's going to get it. It's like if you take the bullet, that's it. What do people do with parents that have Alzheimer's that are suffering and trying to take care of them? We ran from doctor to doctor to doctor. I took my mother to trials, to trials. Clinical we would wake trials. up, clinical trials, which, you know what? They might have worked for a week. And then she flipped right back to exactly where she was. So is it worth all the running around, getting her up in the middle of the night to try to catch a trial in Timbuktu? I mean, we did everything. And now looking back, I think I want to give the advice to people. 
love the people who have Alzheimer's, give them the best care that you can give them, but accept it and love them and know that they're not in pain. There are different approaches. Tell me. One approach is what you did. You did everything you can to make sure you're doing the best for your mom. Okay. And there are clinical trials that are new drugs that in investigation. Those are investigational drugs. Right. There are no drugs that are approved by the market. And the investigation, and they're not, since they're not in the market, you would like to have your relative or your loved one be exposed to them. Maybe it will help them. Some of the drugs did, does work very well. Some of them didn't. Uh, now the new generation of drug, which we call more vaccine. So can you talk to us about that? Because my mother was on Aricept and Namenda. Those were the two drugs that she was on. And she happened to have been on it, I think, two years before she was diagnosed. I never heard the word Alzheimer's because Dr. April was the doctor in New York City. And I thank him for it. We went from my mother's memory. He said, she's okay. I gave her medicine. We didn't think anything. About a year and a half, two years later in Florida, a woman said, how do you not know your mom has Alzheimer's? She's on the medication for it. And we, I practically fell on the floor. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't believe. You know, my mom was 70 years old, 71 at the time, and I'm thinking this she is it. Young, yeah. She was young. And I suffered for nine years when I didn't have to suffer. Anyway, that's another, okay. that's and another time. By the way, the disease, the, that's why it's really, it's a problem, the disease lasts 12 years, average. So it's a long disease. You stay with disease for many, many, many years. years. So I just want to add to that. For anyone listening to this, save your suffering for the end. Because I suffered for the first seven, eight years over every little thing when my mother was happy as a clam, put on her makeup, skipped up and down the house and asked me what Chucky's name was. What's his name again? Every time she declined and asked me something that was so crazy, I was in bed for days. I'm telling you, Brad knows he had to nurse me in bed. I called a tutor. I went online. I found tutors that would come and tutor my mother from all the nephews, all the nieces, all the grand. So she would remember it. It did nothing. It only gave her anxiety. I had to stop right. it. I I drove Send myself. Yeah, I, I, I drove myself crazy and I suffered. I was in bed and I don't want people with uh, sick parents to go through the same thing. Save your suffering till the very end. That's 100%. I think that that's why is one of our approaches in geriatrics. We don't just treat the patient, take the medication, that's all. We have to teach the family. Actually, many times tell the family, it's okay, we will go over that. And the, the, the husband like it. I mean, yesterday we have a new patient with the husband and care with the children. Each one, some of them said, slowly, slowly. We will, will explain to everything. You will be expert in the disease. You will understand more. First of all, I don't know the, the diagnosis yet. Let's start slowly, slowly. But they said we have we went for thousand testing in Colombia, this and this. They told us we have all something. Okay, so let's go slowly now. Or let's get understand what are the problems and start to fix the problems slowly, slowly and try to enjoy what you can. The other, most important thing that I always mention, the caregiver. He has to have a break and he has to know how to enjoy his life. Because the caregiver, if you will be totally into the Alzheimer's, into the dementia, you really your life will be miserable. Yeah. While the patient is happy, the patient is okay, nothing wrong with him, usually everything, everybody is crazy and they're okay. So that the but don't, don't, doesn't look familiar, huh? He's crazy, I'm okay, that's very common. 
Uh, so you, we have to teach the family how to enjoy life, how to enjoy what they have, and how to progress with the disease. There is some hope that you can hold the disease somehow for a period of time. Some doctor knows to hold it longer, some doctor knows to keep it for six months to a year, but overall, that's what you can hold it a little bit. Maybe even if you see deterioration with medication, it might be slower than nothing. Now, there are two types of medication we're going to this field. Two types of medication. There's symptomatic medication and there are modifying medication in everything in medicine. What is symptomatic? Like a Parkinson's disease. You give a medication for Parkinson, the guy has tremor, he stopped the tremor. You stop the medication and get the tremor back. So this medication have effect only on the tremor, which is the classic Parkinson uh, symptom, but it has no effect on the pathology that is evolving in the brain. The pathology still continue. It is still deteriorating, although the tremor gets better. That's called symptomatic treatment, okay? The medication that we have today in the market are all symptomatic for Alzheimer's disease. That's how the FDA approved it for, okay? I'm not arguing with the FDA. So I, I accept it, I accept it. And for example, you give Aracet, Exelon, Galantamine, and you can add Mamenda. So- You also said something about a vaccine. Well, we'll talk about okay. it. That, that's what we're talking about. So those medications, somehow are more symptomatic. They increase a chemical in the brain that's associated with memory and familiar. Wow, he's a little better. We see that he's, he's better, his function is better. He's a little bit better. And some of them are very happy with the result. Some of them don't see any benefit, but some of them do. The new generation of medication that everybody is trying to move forward are medication that have a modifying effect. That means not only effect on the clinical of the patient, the memory, et cetera, but it will have effect on the brain, on the pathology, on the process of the brain, on the process slow, the damage to the brain cells. Is that kind of like removing the beta amyloid? Not removing, or yeah, you can call it Why removing. can't they remove it? Can't uh, they go take a needle, put it in the brain and suck it out? I'll tell you, you can, you can stimulate the immune system that they will recognize the beta amyloid as a foreign body, eat it and take it destroy out. Destroy it. Not destroy it. Oh, take it out. They take it, they swallow it uh -huh. and put it into the cell and push it out to the blood vessel and they get into the blood cell and get it out. Just like that's the immune system of the body. That's what they do. And the brain immune system is a different part from the immune system of the body. It's a little bit different. Okay, they have different cells, etc. Uh, they have uh, like commando in the brain. We have regular, they have commando. Right. So, and you can stimulate some of the cell to eat this beta amyloid and get rid of it. Okay. And they are, we produce, it's interesting. What happened is they inject the beta amyloid to rats one time. There's a model of rats that has like Alzheimer's disease. He go in the mess and he, he loses his way. He doesn't know. So why. when you inject the mice with the, beta amyloid, the, 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 for some reason the immune system of the of the mice understand this is a foreign body, foreign protein. So they learn how to attack it, and somehow 
the, what they did is they noticed that this rat with the motor faults are getting better. You know, it's better they go through the base. With now, the beta amyloid. No, but after they, they gave him the beta amyloid injection, yeah. so the immune system knows the better. To now fight the it. immune system starts to eat it. Oh. So they say, okay, why don't we do two human beings? Something very similar. Mm -hmm. You can give gamma, I mean, the material who is attacking the beta amyloid. Okay, you can give the gamma globulin, etc., or you can stimulate the immune system. What is that gamma globulin? It just, it just, and just antibodies that get attached to the to the beta amyloid, and the body will know how to get rid of it together. So, how do you take that? Is it an oral thing? Is it no, a no, it's IV? And it's IV. very difficult. It's more complicated than I said it. I try to make it very easy. It's easy. Okay, so it's not really being done today. It's done. It is being done. It's done, and there are many studies that are trying again and again. Some of them are very expensive. They're very expensive. And the insurance doesn't pay, I'm sure. No, it's not yet on the market. They didn't even try to get it to, but I did some studies that did show a lot of benefits for patients. So, but they're very expensive. And now we're going to look for drugs that have similar effect, but cost less. But at what stage do you have to be in order for this to even help you? Like at some point, first of all, how many stages of Alzheimer's is there for people that don't really understand? Are there stages one, two, three? Yes, there are stages. For for the lemon people who come to the office and don't understand, we, we just divide to three, mild, moderate, advanced. For people who are more in research, it's divided to seven. And it's having its each stage has its own characteristic. It actually was uh, initially studied and published by Dr. Risberg. And I used those seven stages actually in one page. I didn't have it today, I didn't bring it, but uh, I have it and it's very, very explanatory. Each stage, exactly what's going to happen and you can predict exactly by year what will happen to right. the patient. But I think if somebody is not in the field, it's better for them maybe to not know. Correct. They, no, they like to know some people, but it, it depends on the family. Right. It depends on the family. Each family, I have to fill them. And I tell them according to what I feel they need to know. Uh, and some people just Do you know what they are? Do you know what the seven are now? Can you say it? Or? No, it's you don't have complicated. Okay. I don't have it here for me. It's very complicated. Okay, and if it's very matter. complicated, I'm not going to understand it Correct. anyway. But you can divide it to mild, moderate, advanced. So if you're advanced... Is any medication going to really help you? Okay, yes. There were studies that, for example, Namenda, it's not a huge improvement, but somehow holds you for a period of time, even when it's giving alone. But usually, Namenda, I like to give with combination of RCF, Exxon, and I mean, to give with combination, has a better result. So, so for a short period of time, let's say maximum a year or something, you can hold the disease. Some people have some improvement. What a lot, but some families are very happy with it. You'll be amazed that some families are, well, doctor, you did a lot for us. I think that you're going a little bit in the wrong direction because you're looking for cure now. I, before I deal with that, people forget that patients with Alzheimer's disease, they deteriorate not only in their cognition, not only in the memory. They deteriorate in their function. They deteriorate in their behavior. They deteriorate in their cognition. It's three things. And they have a caregiver burden. So I call it all the four. So each one I have to deal. The first thing that I do when I see the patient come to my office is dealing with his behavior. In early stages, 
you have more anxiety, frustration. And you know, if the patient is very anxious and frustrated, it deteriorates his cognition anyhow. He's less able to function. Uh, I didn't know that. he's more confused, he's more anxious. For example, when you are in a panic, you cannot think very well. Can you explain to people why do they get that way? This is the question I get because from friends. Was your mom that way? Why do they get that way? Because in early stages, they are still functioning near normal. And they are aware of what's going on. And they see that they forget and they get very frustrated, get very anxious. They try to do social withdrawal. Okay. They and get that, agitated. And what happened, that caused them to be more confused. Don't forget, when you are very anxious, you can't think very well. And sometimes aggressive. Yeah, that's different. Okay. But in the beginning, in the beginning, you have anxiety, frustration, etc. Little you can get depression. And the depression that you can get is not because only you get depressed because you are aware of the disease. Might be. But there's a chemical like serotonin goes down, so the part of the disease you get really depression too. Now chemically, you're chemically. saying chemically you get depressed from it. Now Patient with depression can get dementia too, we call it cellular dementia. And patient with dementia can have depression. depression too. So one of the most important things when I see patient in stage three, in the seven stages, they came with depression, my biggest, biggest challenge is to know which one is which. I cannot just say, oh, they're demented. No, I, they might be depressed and, and have dementia because of that, especially when they're seniors, okay? So it's, not, it's a little bit... I make it very simple, but that you know, you know, there's a lot of delicate things. So it's very true because my mom had a friend that was, had lifelong depression. She was always depressed. She never liked to go out and she had Alzheimer's very early. So there is a definite correlation between depression and Alzheimer's. It can go together, yeah. We it can, can go, go together. together, but it has nothing to do. We like to separate it completely. Right, okay. But Alzheimer's disease can have depression as part of the disease in stage four. Well, I'm not saying if somebody feels sad one day, they're going to get Alzheimer's. Yeah. I'm just saying if you have lifelong depression and always on medication, yeah. do you have to get that? Is that a patient? No. Okay. So, so, so it is interesting because the next step after depression, patients suddenly became in denial. Everything is good with me. Nothing wrong with me. There's, suddenly they're not depressed. They're happy. Every, everybody else is crazy. They're okay. They don't have memory problem. Now they're I'm not aware that I uh, have, 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 have dementia or memory problem. Now they're okay. Now they're in la, -la land. Okay? So actually, that's a bad sign for me because that means they're deteriorating to stage four uh -huh. according to Risberg scale, and they're soon going to have more agitation, aggressive, hallucination, more visual spatial problem, and, and sleeping problem, reverse sleeping pattern. So this comes in stages. Jeez, so when the family sees, now I don't remember going through this aspect. So when the family sees that they're feeling better and they're in denial, the family is happy. But what you're seeing is another decline. They're deteriorating again. And the agitation now sets in. Correct. And this is where I hear from people that I'm friends with. They don't know how to cope. They're devastated, the agitation. I tell them, and I'm maybe giving them the wrong advice. I remember for a very short time, we uh, prescribed, you gave it to us, Seroquel for my mother just to keep her calm. And it worked because you said, forget about us, for her. We don't want her to be agitated. And you said it's not good for her. But it was a good thing. My mom didn't have to be on it for that long because she stayed very calm. So do you suggest people to do it, even though it's hard to see them on Seroquel? Because they become sleep, they become... Correct. 
we, first of all, we don't recommend to give Circuil unless it's really, really necessary. Uh, Circuil is not a healthy drug. Actually, it makes your cognition get worse, I believe in that. So, but sometimes when the patient became more psychotic, just to give him more calming effect, less agitation, we sometimes have to give it for the sake of the family and the sake of the patient. What else can you give? What is a no, good drug many, to give? There, there are many. Well, there's no one formula. If there's one right. formula, I don't have to be a doctor for that. <laughs> right. but, okay. So but everyone, it do, depends on the patient. We do have cocktails of medication that we give today instead of Circuil. We try not to give medication of anti, to jump on antipsychotic, and we can give combination of drugs to give the patient good feeling less agitated and we can control him very well today. but was this the same 10 or 12 years ago because i know no right because i remember many back years, then everyone was ago, saying it was seroquel many years ago people give many drugs i don't know what they give to mom but you remember right. well, i don't know if it was ago, you or another doctor i don't remember but i, I didn't do much uh, i several was not my dog it doesn't matter it doesn't matter. It was very common and very easily given in those right. years. In those years, right. Because it was recommended by a lot of people. Correct. So I didn't like to give it in that right. time because I thought that when I give it, that's then the patient is going to deteriorate and I tried to avoid it. So it probably wasn't you. It doesn't matter. It no. So matter. now what new medications? Because I still want people to know what they can do, if anything, with the vaccine. With agitation, you're saying obviously the doctor has to see the patient. We call it vaccine. It's so a, it's not a real vaccine. Uh, correct. It's called vaccine okay. So because vaccine is you give it to prevent a disease. Okay. And here it's not exactly. Actually, if you think about it, there's a lot of logic to use it for that too. Okay. But we will never do that. We Why not? Work. That was in my questions. Because I want to ask you. Cannot study it. Why? It's many years of study. You know what I was going to ask already. Yes, of course you do. You're brilliant. I was going to ask him, why can't you prophylactically give some people at a certain age, if you know it runs in the family, prophylactically no, give them the medication? More than that. We can do provocation. You can do provocation. I, I, I'm, listen, I have no contact with the company, so I can talk. I don't, the company is Biogen, they can trust drugs, there's another drug, maybe discover another drug that you can call it a little bit uh, as, uh, as a vaccine, but Think about it this way. What happens if we take, take a six years old guy who's totally healthy, we do lumbopuncture, and we see that he has a lot of beta amyloid? This guy is a high risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. According, if he has history of family, families of Alzheimer's disease, all, all the risk factors around there, and you see, see, you know what? If I were him, I would take the medication to prevent it. And, the beta male will go down and he will have no beta male to destroy his brain cells. Maybe that will work. But for the FDA to approve such a thing, then you have to prove it. You cannot do just speculation. This is a speculation. I never proved it. It was never proven. And to prove that takes many years of study. I think only the government can do such a study because it, costs, it will cost millions of millions of dollars. To do a small study for six months might cost you 30 to 60 million dollars. So imagine what happened with the study that you need to do 30 years. But it does so, make sense if you think about it. Women take off both breasts if they know it runs in the family. Correct. I took a calcium score to find out I had a calcification to take correct, a statin. Correct, correct. So there are things you can do to prevent it, but you're saying this one is not really in the making. Especially, especially, especially when it's very expensive. 
it's not like taking statins. It might be extremely expensive. And who has to pay for it? Because the statin, the insurers will pay. Now the insurers will not pay. So it never was approved. Right. Okay. Is there anything anybody can do? Let's say they're so wealthy, they don't need the insurance. What can they do? I'm just, for people listening, some people think, I don't care about money. I mean, we said the same thing and we didn't have money. But I mean, that's how we thought at the time. We'll do anything, but we don't care about insurance. Is there anything anyone could do, regardless if the insurance pays or not? Okay. Actually, we don't need the insurance to, for prevention. What you talk about prevention? Okay. I said it before. If you can control risk factors, head trauma, if you can control blood pressure, if you do exercise, eat more antioxidant type of, uh, of food. So tell me. Food. Food. Okay. So blueberries. Correct. Yeah, all the nuts. Turmeric. If you are going, I'm not going to name them. Name them I know, but I like to name them for people listening. When I heard about it, all like, we did was like feed what? my mother blueberries, no. uh, turmeric, and everything. There's antioxidant. You can use uh, vitamin E from nature, not from the pills. It's different. Oh. Okay, it's gamma tocopherol, beta it's alpha tocopherol, it's not the same. So the point is so, to get these things from the food, not from the vitamins, natural you're, sources. You're, you're looking for yes, medication. I want, no, I'm looking yes. for blood pressure, exercise. This is more important. This well, this is, is all for preventative. This is preventative, which one of the most important things. I know, it is. Actually, exercise for dementia is very important. I, I can't explain it. I can tell you maybe oxygen comes to the brain more. I don't know, maybe. But you know what? No doubt. Uh, for example, uh, I saw for example, I saw a lot of patients who said, doctor, I had a bypass or I had a hip fracture, I need knee replacement. After the knee replacement, I started to have memory problem and I developed Alzheimer's disease. It can be due after surgery too, that it triggers it. For some reason, they yeah, say the anesthesia, stores. right? They say anesthesia. Is that true? That. You don't know. You're not going to comment. I don't know. Nowadays, you might have low low oxygen during the surgery. You never know. Okay, the trauma of it, you never know. Trigger. I call it trigger. That's all. Very simple. Because really, I don't know. But it has been very well documented that many people has been complaining about it. Okay, so if you ask me, really, what should I do? Right. Enjoy your life. Do exercise. Eat good food, control your basic thing, blood pressure, etc. That's what you need to do. Okay. And what do we tell our friends out there who have parents that are suffering, who I know is so sad, and I see them, and I don't like to ask them how they are because people used to ask me about my mom, how she was, and I understood they were coming from a good place, but I had nothing else to say. Oh, she's good. Thank you. She's good. But I know they're suffering. I don't want to depress them when we're out. What kind of help can we tell them? And can I, do you mind if I bring something personal? I know that your mom worked in your office. She was very helpful. I love your mom. And I know your mom also has something. Yeah, so, so, yeah she, is, she is 96, 97 years old. So she is now a little bit slow and demented. But she's had it for, I think, a while, right? She's had it? No, not really. I think for the last three, four years. She's not. Uh, okay, and she worked in your office, and she was amazing when we would come in, and she would talk to us and right. do stuff. And How do you cope with it? I, so I know I made jokes earlier about in their 90s. Right. But okay, but now I'm saying, but it's still I, when it's I, your I, mother I, and you see I accepted it as it is. I don't treat it too much. I think age 90 can have more sadness on the education than, than, the, than without it. 
I mean, she is happy. She's not suffering. She has somebody with her. She's at home. She recognizes me. So I see the quality of life. And she has some quality of life, which is happy. So if she's happy, I'm happy. Now, you ask me what family can do. If they are really, most family are really in the dark. They don't know what to do. I think the best thing that they can do, I found a very good support group. We have several in this area, which are very good. Some of them are not so good. Support group will help you a lot because not only that there's a person who's leading it and knows about it, etc. You meet other people with the same disease and with families, and they will tell you, they will advise you what to do. You will hear what they did, how they solved problems. So you might have little problems, and they might help you to solve it. And the idea that group of people helping each other, you won't believe in the support group. You have people who have been lost already their loved ones for all time these many years ago they still come to the support group to help other people you are so right i mean i went to support group and i know i i made fun of it and it did that did aggravate me but i will say this the few times i would open up and tell them like there was a time when i was trying to tell my mother how much i loved her she looked at me in the middle of talking she went she put her finger up to her mouth and went I felt so bad. Now I could laugh about it. When I brought it up in the group, they all started cracking up. And I looked around and one of them said, you got to find the humor in this. You got to find the humor in some of it. It is what it is. If you don't find the humor, you can look for every reason to be miserable. And now every time I tell that story about, I crack up. And now I look back and yes, I do believe support group is very, very important. Actually, you touch a very important point. You have to learn how to not to be miserable. You have to find the laugh out of it. I think somebody taught me that, that they saw their mom uh, wearing the bra other side and the opposite side. And they could have cried when they saw it and they could have laughed. And they decided to make a joke out of it and laugh and enjoy it and make it as a joke. And actually, they took it well. And I told him, you're right. That's the way you should do it. You should enjoy it and whatever you can. Make a joke out of it and that's all. That's a great example. Unless you will, otherwise you will be miserable. Right. It's like with children. When they do, <laughs> when they do something that's contrary to the norm, yeah. you laugh because they're growing up and growing out of it. Right. Whereas with Alzheimer's, it's reversed. Yeah, I remember once I saw my mom putting her underarm deodorant on her face. And I, of course, did the opposite of what I should have done. And I drove myself crazy. And I said, Ma, what are you doing? That's not. And I'm saying she's getting bad. She's getting worse. Meanwhile, 20 minutes later, she's downstairs with her makeup perfect, with her little heels on. So well, I guess what I'm trying to say is save your suffering for the end. Right. As long as they're in la-la land, yeah. let them be, right? Let them be. There are a couple of tricks that I do want to ask you about. Um, I don't remember, again, we went to so many doctors. You were the one that I think, you were the one we settled on. But my mom went through a period where she was losing a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you know, we were cheering her on. We, you know, we knew that it was the disease, but, you know, it's not like she was, you know, underweight. So she looked great. And then it started to get scary. And I don't remember if it was you. It might have been. Uh, you, put, you put her on Megase. Somebody gave Megase. All right. That's what we do. Okay, so it was you. You put her on Megase, which was almost like smoking pot. It gave her the munchies. She started eating. But I find with people that I talk about it with, a lot of things go unnoticed. A lot of people are so fearful of the disease, they don't even want to visit their parents. They tell me, I can't. It's too depressing. Do you know what I tell them? To have a group chat like I did with your whole family. 
if you don't know, if you only have one brother or sister, put aunts, uncles, cousins, say, I'm going to visit mom today at six o'clock. If you're interested, come. A few people will come, a few people won't, but this way you go and you congregate and you talk to each other because my mom towards the end, she couldn't answer any questions, but she loved seeing all of us sit around. She loved seeing us sit around and talk. So Megase was helpful. So let me, let me go backward. You jump to the middle, but first of all, patients with Alzheimer's disease have changed in their taste. They like ice cream, everything with carbs. They like yes. sugar, etc. They don't taste meat. They don't taste other. They taste very well. So if you give them ice cream, that's the best that you can get. Sometimes I tell the family, let's do deal with them. If they eat a little bit of meat, you give them the ice cream. You have to play like with children. You have to play with them and make deal with them. But over time, don't forget they get medication like RSF, etc. Those medications cause anorexia. Those medications decrease your appetite. So many patients on those drugs lose a lot of weight. The, the joke is that the obese people, it doesn't affect them. The thin people, it affects them more. Right. <laughs> so people say, doctor, you promised me that my mom will be this thin? <laughs> said, believe me, the book was written everywhere that it caused anorexia, weight loss. Your mom didn't touch her. Actually, it increased appetite. It does happen. It does happen. But those drugs cause weight loss. And you see patients became well, really very thin with those medications. Now, how can you help? So initially, you tell the family, don't avoid them to take ice cream or carbs or cakes. Let them have it. It doesn't matter. Try to, in between, to give them more what you call real food. Okay? After that, you can add supplements like Ensure, etc., that have everything inside. And tell a mom, you hear the hear your ice cream, you hear this. You, they don't have to, and just sip on it. You don't have to drink it all. Nobody is drinking it all. Sip on it a little bit, mom, sip a little bit here. So every time, remind her to take more and more. If you can finish one, two, or three bottles of that, that's a lot of calories. Okay? So that when they really don't want anything to eat, etc., you want to stimulate their their appetite. And one of them is megas, and the other one is products of marijuana that we give. Well, that's a very old type of medication, but it's synthetic type of marijuana. We used to give it. It looks like a pearl, and it does increase what can you say the matches they eat. I it, saw, and they increase the appetite. And it does work very well. So we used to give it a lot. It's mainly approved for HIV with anorexia, but we used to give it to Alzheimer's patients with the same problem. So we do that. We do the maximum towards the end. That's what you see, and we don't eat much. Right, but, uh, because dehydration was an issue when correct. she wasn't eating, and she'd wind all, up in the hospital. All seniors, by the way, all seniors don't drink much. And you have to encourage all the seniors to drink to more drink. and more yes. and more. But all of yes. them are drinking. All seniors are more on the dehydration side. Right. But yeah. when she started the megase and started eating, she started drinking, she'd right. eat salty. Another thing I found, and I don't know if it was an Alzheimer's um, thing, but she was getting a lot of urinary tract infections, kind of towards when she, towards not really the end, but when it was moderate. That is not, it's not to do with Alzheimer's disease. That's going with aging. Ah. When you lose your hormone, the ovaries don't produce hormone, etc. Uh, the vagina is less acid and infection can come the easiest, the easier. There's no mechanism for defense that you have during your, when you have the hormones. And that's very common in all 
all female after menopause. Some people has more infection, some people has less, infe less infection. We can treat it with antibiotic and even we can sometimes give an antibiotic prophylaxis for a long time. Right. To stay on it for very, for very long time. So that was so a very- that is a common condition. That's common. So now we found that when my mother had it a couple of times, like it was once a month, we get concerned because she wasn't even going out to a doctor anymore. We had them coming to the house. But because she can't speak now and verbalize, I was always so worried. They suggested, one of the nurses suggested getting Cystex. It's a drink you buy at the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, it's not going to do anything. I bought it anyway. I actually found it to work. Correct. I don't Correct. really remember her even getting a urinary tract infection after the Cystex. Sure. It tasted good. She would have maybe one or two a day, and it worked. So for people listening, I mean, that's definitely, I think, a good, good trick. Idea. Yeah, because you want to avoid it. You want to avoid anything else. Today, we have different drugs that you can give long-term to prevent infection, but you can do it in a different way, natural way. Nature's way, exactly. Because right. I think what we always said is the less oral medication she took yes. was better because each medication causes another side effect. Like you said, the yeah. Aricept or the Nemenda causes you to lose weight. Then you have to take okay. Megase to gain weight. So another thing I wanted to say, um, one of the doctors that my mother saw <clears throat> said that he noticed that Alzheimer's is much more common in communities that are very insular, where kind of people marry their third, fourth cousin that they don't even know it's their cousin, but people just kind of all marry within the same community. Is that true? It all depends on the gene. If somebody in the, in the community has a gene and they stay in the community, so the gene stays in the community. There is actually a gene that's called uh, Odessa Germany gene that people get. It's caused Alzheimer's actually in younger age. So it wait, can you the, repeat the name Odessa? Odessa because people came from Odessa and they moved to Germany in the history. So for some reason there is a gene like that that in this and they marry around them the same group. So the disease stays in in them. So. Those patients develop a disease very young, so they get still get married and develop children. And since it's a, it's a gene, it goes to the next generation. So in general, if you have, it all depends on your genes. If there's no genes in that group of people, it won't, it won't come. It won't them. come. Okay. okay. So there might be some truth to it, right. maybe not, whatever the case is. Um, I found that one of the best things I did when uh, I found out my mom had Alzheimer's for people that really, instead of freaking out, one of the things I did was I wanted to use the opportunity to tell her how great she was. Now, you know my family. We don't talk that way to each other. We love each other, but nobody says anything nice. We don't hug. We kill each other. We say, I want to smother you in your sleep. But meanwhile, you do everything to you take care of them. And when my mom was diagnosed, I remember all I told her was, you set us up in business. You were so great, the best mom. She would always tell me, stop being silly. Oh, why are you being silly? Don't tell me that. Meanwhile, an hour later, she wanted to hear it again. She liked it. She got used to hearing it. So I think that it's important when you have the opportunity while they're still lucid, tell them as much as you can, how much you love them, hug them. Even if it's awkward, it was very awkward with me and my mom. We never hugged. And when I hugged her, she stood there stiff like a board. But in time, she got used to it. And then when she started getting a little bit, you know, more sick, she got even more used to it. 100%. is very important. You just, you know, it's funny. Somebody in a store in Bell Harbor, when I was walking with my mom into a store, my mom was talking gibberish 
And I was so embarrassed from the sales girl because I always like to keep it a secret that my mom had Alzheimer's. So my mom was all dressed up. She looked beautiful and the salesperson's trying to talk to her and my mom's talking gibberish. So, you know, I cringed. And when we started to walk away, I looked at this young woman. She had to be about 40 years old. And I said, I'm so sorry. My mother doesn't know what she's talking about. I don't know what to do. She looked at me and she goes, just love her. And to this day, I remember those words, just love her. Don't scrutinize or criticize or judge. Just love her the way she is. And I realized, so after that, when I would take her and people would try to sell her perfume and makeup and my mother didn't know what they were doing, I used to let them stop. Go ahead, try to sell it to her. My mom didn't know what she would just waste their time. Talk gibberish. I'd be like, okay, are we ready to go now? That's good advice for anybody. That's good advice for anyone. Just play dumb. Doctor, I can't thank you enough. Tell me, anything more? Is there anything, how long before you think that we will have, I know not a cure, but something that can, something that can stretch the disease? My mom's term was nine to 10 years at the time. That's what they said. Now you're saying 12 years they can hold it. When will they be, be able to hold it for 15 years? Maybe 20 years? No, 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 no. Without treatment, if you do nothing, the disease progress from the beginning when they have some a little bit memory problem till end stage it's it lasts around 12 years without treatment without oh, got treatment. it with treatment with treatment it came for seven eight but remember i told you the treatment that we have today is a treatment of symptomatic it has no effect on the length of the disease has no effect on the pathology so when we will start to have medication that can affect on the pathology we might have ability maybe to prolong the the time of the patient. I, I don't see any reason to prolong the suffer unless you're able to prevent it and to hold them in a good condition, in a good stage, early in the stage. For longer. Correct. They, to keep their suffering there, there's no logic. No, I, I agree with you. No, I'm talking about making the symptoms really, um, you know, stable. Make them stable for Correct. as long as you can. We, we can do that, but we don't prolong life today with it. Right. With the treatment today, we can stabilize them, but we don't prolong their life. Right. No, I agree with that but philosophy. In the future, we might find something else that we can prevent the disease, or maybe. Is, uh, keep it the same, stabilize it in early stage of the disease. I think we will reach that state. Okay, I trust you because you were so good to us. You really, really, not only were you a good doctor to my mom, you actually put the family in a sense back together. I believe in 20 years from now, remember, Mark, my day, 20 years from yes. now, we will have, I don't know if I'll be in business, but definitely we'll have better medication that will able to stabilize the patient for longer time. For longer. Okay, you heard that. Amen. Amen. Doctor, thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank <laughs> you. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.